This morning we look at the state of transition that is taking place in the nation of Israel. There had been a, a tremendous working and outpouring of God in which God demonstrated his care for the nation of Israel in the showdown that took place between God and Baal. And God revealed himself as the true and living God, the one and only hope for the nation. Now we come to a point in which God is bringing about a transition in the spiritual leadership in Israel. God is revealing a replacement for Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16, it reads, And Jehu the son of Nimshah, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Today we're going to reflect on God's call of Elisha to replace Elijah. While we must be careful not to read into the text more than what is there, we also need to be equally cautious not to overlook the details of the text that are present. It's kind of like reading a mystery novel. One finds that the seemingly insignificant details can prove to be crucial in actually solving the mystery. So the theme this morning is a consideration of Elisha's call to replace Elijah. We begin by looking at the means that God uses to call Elisha to replace Elijah. First, God's call of Elisha is communicated to Elijah in verse 16. It says at the end of that verse, you, referring to Elijah, shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And he reveals that as Elisha. The call of Elisha was, in fact, God's call. If you look at verse 15, it says, The Lord said to him, These are the words of God to Elijah. It is God who says that the uh, son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. It was not Elijah that determined that Elisha would be his successor, but God. It's absolutely crucial that we never forget that God's call to ministry is indeed God's call. It is that which God sovereignly desires and brings to pass. We never determine a call. We, on the other hand, recognize a call. We are to see what God is doing. We are not the initiators, we are the receptors. And so it is incumbent upon us to know the mind and will of God. The call was sudden, but it was not unplanned. The call of God is not anticipated by Elisha. Look at verse 19. So he, that is Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of them. Elisha had not sought the call to be a prophet. And there was no reason to think that Elisha anticipated the call to be a prophet. This is a complete surprise to him. It comes out of the blue, as it were. However, it was planned by God. Going back again to 1 Kings 19.16, 
uh, God revealed that it was God's desire that uh, Elisha should be the prophet to replace Elijah. And Elijah intentionally seeks out Elisha as a result, verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha. Key word there is found. This was not a coincidence. This was not a mere happenstance. It's not as uh, Elijah is traveling on his way. All of a sudden, look, there's Elisha. I think I'll go over him and anoint him prophet, but he searched for him. He looked for him. He spent time to find out where Elisha was and then went to meet him. It was decided by God before Elisha had ever given a response. God had readied the heart of Elisha to be a prophet. The activity of Elisha at the time of the call is interesting. Elisha is at work in verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. This is, again, some kind of uh, little detail. Seems rather insignificant, but I think it's noteworthy that he was not sleeping under a tree. He was not shirking his responsibilities. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. Presumably that means there are at least 11 servants plowing alongside or actually in front of him. They were in a row. Uh, he was not plowing with 12 oxen himself. They're each plowing with one. And he is coming up and he is in the end. His plowing with 12 speaks to the fact that Elisha's family was rather wealthy. Uh, there were a number of servants that were able to engage in this work. But it also shows us that Elisha, though he is the son of a wealthy landowner, does not view himself as being superior to the menial task of going out and plowing in the fields. He's willing to do so. Uh, such work was not beneath him. Lamentations 3.27 says, It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Hard work is good preparation for serving the Lord. It's also noteworthy that Elijah is involved in plowing the fields and not in ministering the word. Or even at prayer at the time. Elijah does not come upon Elisha as Elisha is praying and seeking the will of God. Not the case. He's out, he's plowing the field. That is not to say that Elisha was not a man of prayer or that he was not a student of the word. Rather, the emphasis is on the life-calling nature of God's call. Like David, who was tending the father's sheep when the call came to David to be king, so too now Elisha is plowing in his father's fields when the call comes to Elisha to take Elijah's place. Again, we see the activity of God. Elijah then communicates God's call to Elisha. It was God's call, but it was communicated through Elijah. We are told in verse 19, at the end of the verse, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. God did not directly reveal the call to Elisha through a vision or even an angel. 
It's rather striking that God doesn't tell Elisha that Elisha is to replace Elijah. God tells Elijah, who then informs Elisha. God revealed his call to Elisha through Elijah. God works supernaturally through ordinary means. Let me say that again. God works supernaturally through ordinary means. What I mean by that, for Elisha, this was just a, a normal process. This was a, a human process of which another human being comes to him and informs him of the fact that he is to be a prophet in the place of Elijah. But this is far more than just human activity. For God is behind it all. God is at work. God reveals to Elijah, who then reveals to Elisha. We are to recognize that there is a natural process by which God works, but even in that natural process, there is a superintending of God. That there is more to it than human activity. We need to realize that, that God reveals himself in natural ways. God is sovereign over the process. We must be looking for and believe in God's providential working in the process in which he makes decisions. Elisha's acceptance of this call demonstrates Elisha's commitment to Elijah's role as a prophet. He accepts what Elijah does as representative of the will of God. Again, he has no vision. He has no dream. What he has is this human activity, but he has it from a prophet. And because the prophet is God's spokesman, he accepts it as being of God. It's quite striking. It shows, again, his reverence for the role of a prophet and how necessary that is in being a prophet himself, that he understands that a prophet is to speak for God. This was also the beginning of the unique relationship that's going to exist between Elijah and Elisha, for Elijah is going to be the spiritual mentor of Elisha, as we will see in the chapters that follow. We also see that the call was communicated by a symbolic act in verse 19, for it tells us that Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. This is a bit unusual, for the anointing was not in the customary fashion. God had said anoint Elisha to be prophet in your stead. But the anointing came in the form of placing this cloak upon Elisha as opposed to anointing him with oil. Now, as we think about this cloak, we need to first understand that it was commonplace for a prophet to wear a hairy coat. In fact, in the book of Zechariah 13, verse 4, it reads this. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, he will not put on a hairy coat in order to deceive. 
So this verse tells us that the hairy coat represented a prophet. This is the way a prophet would dress. Uh, in some circles, uh, a cleric will wear a certain collar that will identify him as, as a pastor, a priest, uh, a reverend, an ordained individual. That's not our practice. Uh, I do not wear garb that's different from anyone else's, but there is that practice, and it appears that there was a practice throughout the scriptures of prophets wearing a certain kind of garb. We get to the New Testament, and we find that even John the Baptist wore a similar garb, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. He was identified as a prophet. He dressed like a prophet. He acted like a prophet. And most importantly, he fulfilled the role of a prophet. Elijah is known for his hairy coat. In 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, it reads, They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. As soon as they described the way that Elijah was dressed, they, they knew that, in fact, it was Elijah. So the cloak of a prophet was placed upon him. He understood simply by this coat being placed upon him, without a word being said, he understood that this was a sign, this was a, a call to be a prophet. But this was not any ordinary cloak. It was Elijah's cloak that was placed upon him. For Elisha was called to be prophet in Elijah's stead. He wasn't just called to be a prophet, he was called to form a particular function and role, and that was to replace Elijah. The mantle or cloak becomes extremely important in 2 Kings chapter 2. We will see that when we get there, which reveals to us that Elisha did not keep the cloak at this time. Right? He, he wasn't handing it to him for good. He's going to be taking it back. He's going to be using it, but it is symbolic and represents the call of God. However, in the future, when Elijah is actually called into heaven by God, that cloak will remain and be worn by Elisha and used by Elisha. The mantle is not supernatural or magical in its powers, but it does represent the authority of God and God's purpose for his prophets. In the first section here, the application is God's calling to you in service is his call is his call. God's call can be quite unexpected. And I would like each and every one of you this morning to consider the possibility that God may be calling you into his service. God may and often does use others to provide direction and guidance for our lives. Perhaps God is going to use his word this morning to communicate to you a call 
That is to serve him. I can vividly remember a rather significant, I can't tell you, it's more than just a rather significant, a very significant event that took place in my life. I was 10 years old, and I had come to the evening service as we usually did as a family. I grew up in a small church. There were probably 30 or 40 people there. Evening service, and we had a guest speaker. He was a missionary to Russia, and at that time, Russia was behind the Iron Curtain. And he related how the people of Russia were so void of the Word of God. They had no understanding of the Scriptures. And at the end of his message, he gave a simple call. And that is, he said, is there anyone here tonight that is willing to preach and teach God's word so that others may know. I can't tell you what a work God did in my heart that night. As a 10-year-old, it just became abundantly clear to me at that very moment that that's what I needed to do. I mean... I needed to preach and teach the Word of God, and I immediately raised my hand and have believed that from that moment to this day. And so I say to you, maybe God will use this portion of God's Word to touch your heart and to say, yes, God is calling me to preach, teach, spread His Word. But you don't have to be a child. You don't have to be 10 years old for God to work. Elisha is a grown man. He's working in a field. He's got his life before him. He's got a wealthy father. He's got work to do. He's got lands to oversee. And then all of a sudden, it appears that God is, God is calling him to leave all that and become a prophet. Elijah is ready to respond. Elijah is ready to accept that call. And so the second application I'd make to you this morning is perhaps you're in business, for, perhaps your life is set, perhaps you've got these goals before you, and then all of a sudden, God may just interrupt your life. <laughs> even though you've prepared, even though you have thought, even though you've been working in a totally different realm or area, and then all of a sudden, God just makes it known to you that he wants you to enter his work full time. What will your response be? Well, let's look at the response of Elisha to God's call. First, Elisha answers the call without hesitation. Verse 20, he left the oxen. He left the oxen. Elisha answers the call speedily. For it says, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. You can see the abruptness of this uh, as 
Elijah encounters Elisha, he just takes off his coat, throws it on him, and keeps on walking. And Elijah, excuse me, Elisha runs after him. Not simply went after or follows, but, but runs. Elisha answers the call definitively. There is no equivocation on his part. Elisha has made up his mind what he's going to do. For it tells us in verse 20, he left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. Uh, he's not saying, let me think about it. Let me uh, give it some more thought. He simply says, I will follow you. But that is not to say that he doesn't answer the question thoughtfully. He understands. He has an immediate awareness of the cost that's going to be involved in answering this call. Elisha understands that there's a commitment that's going to take place. And that commitment includes leaving his father and mother, for it tells us in verse 20. He says, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. So the question comes, what are we to think about this request? There are a number of commentators that have taken this request negatively. And they look at Luke chapter 9 as proof. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to a disciple, uh, one who professed to be a disciple, said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But the situation of Luke 9 is different from that of the situation we have before us. The issue is one of continually looking back in Luke chapter 9 when one has undertaken the work. Del Ralph Davis says this, and I think it's a good statement. In Luke chapter 9, saying goodbye is an obstacle to kingdom commitment, whereas in 1 Kings chapter 9 it functions as the entry into kingdom service. Elisha goes back to sever his connections, not to delay his commitment. He does not return to hold back, but to cut loose. A truer New Testament parallel would be Luke chapter 5, verse 29, where Levi's party was not incompatible with the previous call to discipleship. So Elisha's response is not one of unwillingness or even delay, but rather a clear understanding of what the call of God involves. And then we see Elisha answers the call wholeheartedly. For it tells us in verse 21, he returned from following him, and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. The call was a dr drastic change in Elisha's work. Elisha's response indicates a clear break with his former responsibilities in life. For it says he took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them, burned their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people. In other words, Elisha burned his bridges. He burned his bridges. He took all of that former life and consecrated it 
to the Lord. He was willing to leave it and move on. It was a symbolic act of his dedication and commitment to the task. And then lastly, Elisha answers the call joyously. For there was a celebration of Elijah's, Elisha's call in verse 21. For it says that he gave it to the people and they ate. They, they're having a celebration. This is a joyous occasion. This is a reason to give thanks. And we too ought to rejoice when God calls people into his service. We should rejoice if God calls our children into his service. That may mean that we have to say goodbye to them for a period of time. They may go overseas. They may be involved in a work that's far away. We should rejoice and be thankful that God is going to use them and, and God is desiring to achieve his work through them. God has called many, many young people from our church to be involved in his service. It should always be a cause of rejoicing and we should celebrate with them. Most notably, as I said, even this morning, Eric Kerb has just begun working with the church full time starting yesterday, believing that God has called him to ministry. It's a cause of rejoicing. And as I say, we've had many like that in our congregation. Thirdly, Answering God's call is an ongoing commitment. Elisha embarks on a journey in fulfilling God's call. Let me say this again. Answering God's call is an ongoing commitment. Elisha embarks on a journey in fulfilling God's call. Now remember that Elisha is specifically called to replace Elijah. Again, 1916. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So Elisha enters into a journey in fulfilling God's call. There are initial steps. Notice in verse 21, this simple statement. Then he arose... And went after Elijah. Then he arose and went after Elijah. Elisha is called to replace Elijah. But that doesn't happen immediately. That doesn't happen overnight. And we will read of a lot of the exploits and accomplishments and duties of Elijah in the succeeding chapters. A.W. Pink has calculated that there were at least 10 years in which Elisha is serving under Elijah. It was a pilgrimage. It was a journey. And God's calling is just that. It is a journey of following, a journey of doing the will of God. The next I would note is that the fulfillment of the call to replace Elijah begins with Elisha's being Elijah's assistant. Look at verse 21. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now notice 
that the call doesn't start when Elijah is taken up into heaven. The call starts 10 years earlier and begins with his being Elijah's assistant. One assisting the person that they are to replace is normative in the scriptures. First, one is reminded of the relationship that existed between Moses and Joshua. Listen to how often this is said. Exodus 24, 19. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. So assistant to Moses so that he would hear from God. Numbers eleven twenty eight, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. And then in Joshua chapter 1, when Moses is about to die, in fact has died, we hear this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. That's for our benefit. That's not for Joshua's benefit. That was God's activity. God plans ahead. God knows what he's going to do. So, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and tell his people and to the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. There are many examples in the Bible where the one that God prepares to replace his servant is the one who assists them. For example, as we have been seeing on Sunday nights, Paul began by assisting Barnabas. Timothy begins by assisting Paul. And the words of Paul to Timothy are, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God's way of raising up the next generation and the future leaders are to take what God has taught you and teach it to the one who's going to replace you. That is the normative work of Scripture. The assisting of others is important not just for gaining experience, but also for developing character. Turn with me in your Bibles to first, uh, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. Then Kings chapter 3, verse 11. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king's of Israel's servants answered, 
Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. And now notice how he's described. <laughs> Who poured water on the hands of Elijah. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. He's called to be an assistant to Elijah, and he assists him in some pretty menial ways. The point was he was to spend time with Elijah. He was to learn from Elijah, but it is a character-building experience. And so often we focus more on abilities and talents than we do character. There is an extremely important lesson as we think about God's calling. And that is that it has more to do with character than ability. If you remember, Moses is reluctant at the burning bush because he says, I don't speak well. And God says, well, who created your mouth? It is a natural human tendency to look for abilities and talents more than character or heart. David, well, if you remember, when God dispatches Samuel to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be king over Israel, many months ago we looked at that portion of scripture, Samuel assumes that the oldest son of Jesse is the one whom God has called to replace King Saul. He's the oldest, he's rugged, he's described with his physical characteristics. He looks like the kind of person that you want to be a king. But God says that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks upon the heart. And surprisingly, it wasn't that individual that God had called, but it was David whom God had called, who they didn't even bother to bring in from the field because they didn't figure it would be David. And yet, that's the one that God had chose. Mankind's tendency is to look more for ability, prowess, success, than it is character and heart, or the will of God. We're going to find out that Elisha has a proven character in the chapters ahead. He's going to be humble, he's going to be teachable, he's going to be committed, and he's going to be faithful. You will see these characteristics played in Elisha after the new year. This is my last message from Kings after this. I'm on vacation and then Advent. So we'll be coming back in January. But let me say to you, without character, the person of outstanding ability and, and talent will fail every time. It's about whom God calls. It's about God's enablement. It's not about personal ability. God's call is what is most important. So in conclusion, first and foremost, keep in mind that a call is issued by God. Pray for our pastoral search committee who's seeking a person in my place. In God's sovereignty, I didn't choose this passage. I didn't choose the time. I didn't schedule 
this right before a search committee meeting. Had nothing to do with it. I'm working my way through the scriptures. Pray for the pastoral search committee who is seeking a pastor to replace me. They're meeting tomorrow night. I just want to encourage you with these thoughts. First of all, God has chosen someone to take my place. Let me say that again. God has chosen someone to take my place. It is the search committee's responsibility to answer the question, who's that person? Who's that person? The answer is not, who do I think would be a good pastor? The answer is not, who do I think has the abilities and the talents, etc. It's not our decision. It's God's decision. And so the answer is to try to seek and answer the question, who has God chosen? Who has God chosen? And it may surprise us, even as it surprised Samuel. Pray as they seek to determine who God has chosen. Secondly, answering God's call. Is God calling you into his service? I hope you will take the time to thoughtfully and prayerfully answer that question. Maybe you're a child here this morning, much like I was. And as you listen to this message, maybe God is just tugging at your heartstrings and saying, I want you to enter into full-time service. If he does, you're beginning a journey. That's the first step. That's the first step. There's always preparation. There will be study you have to do. There will be work that you have to accomplish. But let me just encourage you that it begins simply by serving and assisting others. And I would certainly encourage anyone who is thinking about full-time service understand the importance of first being a servant, an assistant, learning from someone older and more experienced. It's the way that God works. Maybe God is going to do a very unexpected thing in your life. Maybe you've never even thought about it before. And this would be quite a change if you decide now to enter into full-time service, but it just might be God's will. May God use his word to call individuals to his service. And may God use his word to reinforce and confirm God's call to individuals. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray for your leading and direction. I thank you and I rejoice 
that you have a plan, you have a purpose, you have a will, you actually have a person that you have chosen to be the next pastor of this church. I pray for the search committee as they seek to ascertain your will, to seek to understand who it is that you have called, not them. Lord, uh, help us all as we reflect upon uh, your call. Lord, there are some that you have called into full-time service, quote-unquote, but we know that each and every one who is a child of God is, is called to serve you. And we are not trying to demean or belittle other duties and responsibilities. Uh, Lord, their life of any Christian is one in which they are seeking to serve and honor and glorify you and using their gifts and abilities to further your kingdom. But there are those that you do call into quote-unquote full-time service in the sense that they uniquely dedicate their lives to separating unto the preaching and teaching of your word and to expanding the kingdom in that way. So, Lord, continue to raise up individuals from our church, continue to equip them, enable them, help us to continue to give them experience and encouragement to celebrate with them along the way. And we pray that, indeed, as a result, your name is glorified and your kingdom goes forward. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.